it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. I'm Guy Benson. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show. Very glad to have you here, each and every one of you, every weekday between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern Time around the country on our great affiliates. Many ways to listen live, GuyBensonShow.com. Also a podcast, free every day when the show is over. No charge at all, on demand. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcasts.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Shoot us a follow on social media, at GuyBensonShow, Twitter, Instagram. My handle on those exact same platforms, at Guy P. Benson. So it's at Guy Benson Show for the show, at Guy P. Benson for yours truly. Here's the lineup today on the radio. I was on TV earlier with Maria Bartiromo. Scheduled to be on Varney tomorrow morning, by the way, around 9 a.m. Eastern time. But radio side, Brett Bayer will be joining us here in studio coming up in just about half an hour. Was just on his panel earlier in the week. Always enjoy that. Love when he can make some time to see us here in the radio studio. Josh Krasauer will also join us. From Charleston, South Carolina, in the next hour, he was there in person covering the Nikki Haley presidential announcement, which we'll be talking about here in just a minute. We'll get Josh's thoughts in person on the ground in South Carolina coming up. Lucas Tomlinson, Fox News correspondent, who's really been all over national security issues the last couple of days, breaking a lot of stories, a lot of scoops from Lucas. He'll be with us here as well. That should be interesting. We'll see if there's anything new to share terms of substantive details and then jessica tarloff in our final hour the happy hour a lot of politics to get to with her although you never know where that conversation might go lots of guests on the program today looking forward to it we begin as i just mentioned with the official announcement that nikki haley is in cut 20 i have devoted my life to this fight and i'm just getting started strong America, for a proud America, I am running for president of the United States of America. Big cheer from the crowd in Charleston. Pretty good crowd, I would say. Interesting venue. Overflow audience. Diverse, a lot of young people there. Really good energy. This was not going through the motions. People were excited that their former governor is now running for president. Now, we'll see how it goes, right? I gave some of my analysis when it first got reported that today would be the day a couple weeks ago. I went through all of my analysis and thoughts on what that presidential campaign and candidacy might look like. I like Nikki Haley. She's been on the show a bunch of times. I think she's an asset to the Republican Party. Whether she will catch on in this environment I don't know. Interesting response from the Trump camp. We'll get to that here in just a second. But I want to just play you some more of the audio 
of her rollout speech today. There was the video teasing it yesterday where she said the words that I'm running for president, but the formal announcement came late this morning. And since it is her day, I want to give Governor and Ambassador Haley her due. She had a few comments that were not so subtle jabs at both the incumbent president, Joe Biden, and his predecessor, who is also an announced candidate for the presidency in 2024, Donald Trump, not calling him out by name in this context, but talking about the need to move on to new generations, new leadership, cut 18, for example. I have always had a deep belief in America, but I know America is better than all the division and distractions that we have today. And I'm confident that the American people agree. We're ready, ready to move past the stale ideas and faded names of the past. And we are more than ready for a new generation to lead us into the future. Stale ideas, faded names of the past. Whoever are you talking about, Nikki? And then she had perhaps her biggest applause line of the whole speech. Maybe when she officially said the words, I'm running for president, and everyone went crazy, they were chanting her name. But in terms of a line that got immediate, robust, sustained applause. I think this is a pretty good way of framing it, actually. Cut 19. Listen to this. Strengthening America, believing once again in America, is the only way to defend ourselves from those who want to destroy us. When America is distracted, the world is less safe. And today our enemies think that the American era has passed. They're wrong. America is not past our prime. It's just that our politicians are past theirs. It's not that America is past our prime. It's just that our politicians are past theirs. Politicians, plural. So uh, she's in. She used her example as the daughter of immigrants, a brown girl that she described herself growing up, to combat this notion that has growing cachet in a lot of circles, especially among young people, that this is a racist country rooted in racism. She rejected that, as she has before, in Cut 21. The American people know better. My immigrant parents know better. And take it from me, the first minority female governor in history, America is not a racist country. And just the optics, it was interesting to watch. The crowd obviously erupted at that line, including a lot of people of color throughout the crowd, standing behind her, standing in front of her, a few of them jumping up and down at that line. I think it's deeply offensive to a lot of people that the country at its core is racist. Whatever flaws we have and have had, no one's denying those things. We have made great progress on those fronts. We should learn from those mistakes, learn about those mistakes, seek a more perfect union. But I think it is an unfair slander to call this a racist country, which is why I'm grateful when people like Nikki Haley and Tim Scott and others can take the lead in fighting back against that narrative. 
Haley also got into the foreign policy record of this president, the current president, the weakness, the equivocation, the invitation, frankly, to aggression, and pretty succinctly made a tough case against him on the foreign policy front. This is sort of the ambassador hat going on. Cut 22. Joe Biden isn't leading from behind. He's not leading at all. On his watch, a terrorist mob conquered Afghanistan and killed our troops. Iran is on the brink of getting the bomb. North Korea is launching more missiles than ever. Russia started the biggest war in Europe in 75 years. And in communist China, we face the strongest and most disciplined enemy in history. It is unthinkable that Americans would look at the sky and see a Chinese spy balloon looking back at us. And of course, that balloon was shot down over the ocean just off the coast of South Carolina, right down the road. She also made the point, because she's seen as a foreign policy hawk, that a strong, unchallengeable U.S. military does not invite new wars. It prevents them. It deters them, which I think is an important point about American strength and the projection of that strength. So, look, I don't think that there were any big surprises in the speech today. It was kind of what you would expect from Nikki Haley announcing her presidency, her presidential aspirations, at least officially. She's hoping to gain the presidency. It is going to be an uphill battle. There's no question about that. Look at the polling. I think she'll probably I wouldn't be surprised if she comes up with. Uh, a surge in the polls. She's one of two people running. All the other names being discussed are not in the mix. Some of them won't run at all. Some of them will, but they're not in there yet. It felt kind of normal. Just the way that it all played out. Red, white, and blue. Hometown venue. Classic rock music. A prayer to begin. The Star Spangled Banner. Then two introductions, one from the mother of an American who was taken hostage by the North Koreans, Mrs. Warmbier, and then from a sitting congressman from South Carolina who is a big Trump ally but now is endorsing Nikki Haley. It was just, you know, the stagecraft was good. The run of show made sense. The speech hit the various notes. Big crescendo at the end. Nikki Haley signs. It felt very normal. Just a conservative Republican announcing her run for the presidency. Whether it's that brand of conservatism and Republicanism that is going to sell right now, especially to the Republican audience, the primary audience, I don't know. Time will tell. They'll have that choice to make. But she is, I think, trying to present herself as someone who is bridging the gap between the old establishment and the new, more Trumpy Republican Party, the more populist party, whether she is an authentic messenger to embody that, I don't know. Again, that will be up to voters. She did explicitly talk about the need to win and the struggles that Republicans have had recently. She also brought it up in the introductory video yesterday that Republicans have lost the national popular vote in seven of the last eight presidential elections. Now, they won two of those elections in which they lost the popular vote, right? George W. Bush won the whole thing in 2004, Electoral College and the national vote. Aside from that, 
when he won the first time, then Trump's victory, it was an electoral college victory. And that's the rule. That's how you get elected. And you focus your resources and you try to win certain states. There's no fault in that. That's the roadmap. But if you're looking at national mandate, for example, and persuading a majority of the people to get behind your vision, that's something that has happened rarely for a Republican presidential ticket in recent decades. And that is something that I think should be concerning to Republicans and to conservatives. And she was suggesting that she could take up the mantle and be the type of person who could pull in more support and win the type of comprehensive or more sweeping victory that has, for the most part, eluded Republicans in recent cycles. I will point out that three of the last four midterm election cycles, Republicans did win the national popular vote. But presidential years are bigger, higher turnout. It's just something to think about. Now, the Trump team, they put out some boilerplate stuff against her, reminding people that she had promised not to run this year, or at least this cycle, if Trump were in. She was asked point blank about that. She said if Trump ran in 2024, she would support him. She would not run. So they're pointing that out. Trump has pointed that out. I mean, that's an obvious one. And at some point, she's going to have to give some kind of persuasive or acceptable answer as to why she completely changed her position on that. And I'm sure she's thought about how she would deal with that question because, I mean, it's on tape. It's black and white. She can't wriggle out. She didn't really give herself too much leeway, right? She didn't hedge it. She just said, nope, if he runs, I'm supporting him, and I won't run against him. Well, now there's two people in the race, and it's just the two of them. But I've been struck by how the Trump team and his campaign haven't really gone nuclear on her the way that they have with, for example, Ron DeSantis preemptively over and over again with anything they can think of, even if it involves echoing you know, Democratic attacks and really superficial, frivolous stuff. They're going after him every day, test driving all these different nicknames. We talked about that yesterday. Ron DeSanctimonious, Shutdown Ron, Meatball Ron, all this stupid stuff. Nikki Haley hasn't gotten that treatment. They've said, oh, she's, you know, a career politician. She's a rhino. She's establishment. She's a warmonger. I saw the campaign attacked her for endorsing Paul Ryan's entitlement reform plans years ago, which is a very unfortunate line of attack because they're saying, oh, she was threatening seniors. She was threatening Medicare and Social Security by going along with Paul Ryan. Nothing could be further from the truth. The math shows that those programs are going insolvent. Paul Ryan's plan was to save them in a realistic way while exempting current seniors and soon-to-be seniors. It was a responsible plan. Nikki Haley was right to support it, and it's just depressing that is now a line of attack, not from the Democrats, which it is, right? Grandma's off the cliff, uh, off the cliff in the wheelchair and all of that pack of lies. But now also coming from someone who is, at least for now, the Republican frontrunner for president. Like that's the substance they're going after, which is really too bad. But it's going to be an interesting road to hoe for Governor Haley. And we'll see how she performs on the stump, how she performs in interviews, how she performs in terms of fundraising, raising her profile, getting her polling numbers up. They're okay in South Carolina for now. We'll get into that here a little bit later with 
Brett and Josh, but I think in terms of, you know, a rollout over yesterday into today, it seemed pretty successful to me at first blush. Day one of a very long marathon, right? Someone like Ron DeSantis might not even announce if he's getting in March, April, May, June, like three or four months from now. But Nikki's the second one in. So off we go. 2024 is definitely already here as a cycle. We've got a break. When we come back, a few major Republican names have just confirmed recently, today, that they are not running for president. Who are they? Two big names. We'll tell you about them next on The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. Last segment, we were walking through some of the audio clips from Nikki Haley announcing her presidential run. Today, some news that two pretty prominent Republicans are not going to see presidency in 2024. Both of them are senators. So a few months ago, Tom Cotton, he had been testing the waters for sure, making trips to Iowa and New Hampshire, not really subtle exactly. But Senator Cotton of Arkansas, this was back in November, said, you know what? Not this time. He bowed out. Now, two of his Republican Senate colleagues are doing the same. Josh Hawley of Missouri, who's up for reelection in 2024, he's not going to run for president. There was some discussion that he was interested. And then pretty big one, Ted Cruz. Reportedly telling donors and supporters he is going to focus on his Texas reelection in 2024 and not go for the presidency. So that one to me is, is pretty significant. Really, they both are, given their ambitions and their positioning. I think they would, in some level, on, on some level, like to be running. But, look, the Republicans can't afford to lose seats in the U.S. Senate. It's 51-49, real opportunity to gain seats in 2024. You need guys like Hawley and Cruz, I would add Rick Scott in Florida to that list, to hold their seats to then build from there. We'll see if Rick Scott... Runs for president. I think he wants to, or if he goes the route of Cruz, Hawley, Cotton, we'll see soon enough. But those two are out. Brett Bayer in studio next. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. GuyBensonShow.com, the website here at the program. Podcast free every day when the show is over. Joining us in studio, Brett Baer. Chief political anchor at Fox News, anchor special report every weeknight at 6 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel, author of multiple best-selling books, at Brett Baer on Twitter. It's good to see you, sir, as always. All right, so we open the show talking about Nikki Haley. It's her day, announcing the presidential run that 
she said wouldn't happen under these circumstances, but here it is. I thought it was a pretty strong rollout overall. What did you think? Yeah, she's had a couple days, actually. If you think about uh, a release on Twitter of this video that got a lot of coverage uh, because she's solo as far as as, uh, the only other person besides former President Trump in the field, I think the speech was pretty strong, uh, dealt a lot with her history as governor and uh, U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, but also more about a pitch of next generation and a spirit of America and tapping into kind of the optimism pitch of a Ronald Reagan-esque speech. So, yes, I think it was a good launch. She had a good crowd there. Uh, I do think she has an uphill battle, um, and a lot of candidates do, finding their lane, getting their feet uh, making the Republican Party rally around them as basically the not Trump candidate. And we've talked about this. I mean, the more of these candidates that are in there, um, the pie gets divvied up a little bit. And uh, you have to analyze what piece of the pie the former president controls. And whether it's 23 or 35 makes a big difference as far as who's in the race. Big, big difference. And I was struck, this was now a couple weeks ago, Trump hadn't really done much of anything on the campaign trail since his announcement back in November. He was fundraising and, of course, putting out his Truth Social stuff and spent a lot of energy in recent days talking about Rihanna and the halftime show. But he did go to North to uh, to New Hampshire and to South Carolina for that one weekend. And on the plane, he was asked by a reporter about a number of different would-be opponents. And he really laid into Ron DeSantis. He was asked about Nikki Haley. I found this really interesting. Cut 23. Here's what he said. What do you well, think Nikki Haley that? made the statement that she would never run against our president. I believe Mike did too. But my attitude is, you know, if they want to do that, they should do it. I had a good relationship with all of them. Nikki Haley called me the other day to talk to me. I talked to her for a little while. But I said, look, you know, go by your heart if you want to run. She's publicly said that I would never run against my president. He was a great president. I'd never run. Did she call you to tell you that she was going to be running? No, but she called me. She said uh, she'd like to consider it. And she was letting you know? And I said, you should do it. You should do it. Go with your heart. He was getting the jab in. She said she wouldn't, but now she's doing it. That was a a very welcome into the warm water Nikki Haley statement. There have been a few things that the team has put out knocking her. But in that same little scrum with the media, Trump was saying it would be very disloyal for Ron DeSantis to get into the race. A very different message for him. ABC News story has Trump world Sources quoted saying, we think this is good. I mean, she can help split up the not Trump vote, take votes away from Ron. These people getting in will be not taking votes from Trump. They'll be taking votes from Ron DeSantis. I mean, it's not really subtle, the math that they're at least doing internally. I agree. And I'm you know, he hasn't held back before, even when it comes to a female candidate, um, you know, in, in his terminology and going after them. But that's also maybe a factor in at least out of the gate. But you're right. I mean, in the polls, when she is in the race and Ron DeSantis is in the race, the numbers come out of DeSantis and Trump's numbers stay roughly the same. Mm -hmm. These are early polls. These are name recognition polls. You don't have any sense of a broad electorate, what they think of the policy pitches of the pitch about being president from any of these folks. We, you know, are already starting the process of where this race starts in earnest. And that's the primary debates. 
uh, and they're going to start earlier this this okay. year. Okay, how much earlier? Because if I recall, four years ago, or I guess now even longer, it was because there was no Republican primary. Right, so four years ago. Yeah, so it would have been uh, Six in years Cleveland. Ago. Cleveland. The, the massive uh, viewed first yes. debate yes. in Cleveland. The Rosie O'Donnell line. Me and Megyn Kelly and uh-huh. Chris Wallace. Uh, 26 August? million people. That was August. It was mid, mid-August. These are probably going to start a month earlier. Probably going to start in July. Cool. And for the longest part... Uh, time, people thought, that's way too early. People are on summer vacation. You're not even going to get attention. And that August debate was the most watched non-sports event on cable television ever. And so I think that there is a... You said 26 million people, right? 26 million people. There's an appetite. There was. And there wasn't... um, And that didn't count streaming and, and other things, which will be exponentially viewed this time. So... That's the process that's starting. Now, it's some not- of that might have been just to jump in in terms of the huge monster number. There was so much curiosity about Donald Trump. True. How is he going to perform as a real candidate on a real debate stage? You don't think that there will be curiosity this time as I the think, comeback tour? I think there will be massive interest. I'm not sure it will be – I think we've sort of seen what he does on yes. the debate stage. It won't be a novelty anymore. But it will be a novelty to see how the other candidates deal with a known factor of – that's true. President Trump. That's true because the other guys and gals barely knew what to do with him. In I mean, think about Jeb Bush. Think about Marco Rubio. Yep. Think about all the nicknames mm-hmm. that they really didn't know how to deal with it um, as it was coming at them back in 2016. In fact, Jeb Bush spent thirty million dollars on Marco Rubio's head, and they the it's Rubio still team mystifying. spent twenty million dollars on Jeb Bush and, and John Kasich, and Cruz and too, John Kasich and, and Ted Cruz. <laughs> so here here they were fighting each other, and then obviously Donald Trump uh, ran the gauntlet and went up the middle. But it's a different dynamic now. So you know we're in the process of talking about that, as is every other network uh, about debates and how that's all going to work out. So a month earlier, so we're looking at mid to late July of this year, potentially. You can tell me as much or as little as you'd like in terms of the behind-the-scenes process here, but how does a network go about planning debates like this when there, as of today, are two candidates only, and as of yesterday, really only one candidate? Do you anticipate other people getting in and sort of make soft reach-outs to those teams, or do you just start putting the, the pieces in place, and then when people show up or not, you know, they can get back yeah. to you, basically? So one, we've been around this block a lot. Uh-huh. We've done a lot of these debates. So we assume there'll be other candidates. And really, it's not an outreach to the campaigns as of yet. Uh, the RNC is taking a big, big step here in trying to be more active in this process. And so... Um, as opposed to what? As opposed to years past, where it was not as much... Uh, active in the process early on so like demands what can be permitted you know timetable rules they're going to try to corral the candidates to agree to the rnc format of things uh and how the debates are going to be structured it's really in its early stages um but i think that you start talking to different people through the rnc you start talking to, on the other side, um, if the Democrats are going to have a challenger, they don't think they are at this point, but you want to start that conversation uh, in case they do. Is the operating assumption, just speaking of the Democrats for a second, 
that Biden is going to announce that he's running for reelection and that he's going to clear the field? Because I, I get it. It seems like all the signs are pointing in that direction. I still just in my bones have trouble believing that they're really going to be like, yep, all the eggs in that basket. Again, let's go. I agree with you. And, you know, Ron Klain is signaling that it's a done deal. And he's in this New Yorker article saying, you know, he's going to uh, the president's essentially going to run again and it's going to all line up and it's going to be Donald Trump who's the nominee. And thereby the party's going to say Joe Biden's the only candidate who's beaten Donald Trump. Um, but I agree with you. Ha- the president hasn't done it yet. And there is some doubt in the party about whether he's going to be the standard bearer going forward. Well, and a lot of appetite for something else within the party, too. And poll after poll after poll shows that most Democrats want it to be someone else. But it's not easy to just, like, say sayonara to a sitting president who wants to run again. It's who almost just, impossible. Who ju- just won a historic midterm election in, in an off year. Right. Uh, you know, it's as close to a win as you might expect or ever expect or dream of if you're Biden because of the underperformance by Republicans. Even with that, though, the base and the Democratic electorate seems to want someone else. Uh, it seems like the Democrats have a tighter grip over their process than the Republicans do in general. So uh, we'll see where that goes. Brett, I want to shift to this, for lack of a better term, UFO story that continues to develop or maybe not develop, right. as it were. We talked about this on the panel Two nights ago, have we learned anything of substance since then? Other than another effort by the defense secretary to say we don't know what the other three things were. There's still an effort to get these things because they're in remote areas. We, uh, they are not releasing pictures of them, you know, which is kind of weird. There has to be um, cockpit video. There has to be some kind of image. Oh, of course. And so why are we not seeing that? Well, they have to like – this is like – Target the, it. Yes, and then have it in the crosshairs and then blow it out of the sky. You have to know something. They've, they've described the size, the general shape. It just – there's something Something weird. weird and, about this. you know, he – Austin said that uh, there's not – they're not tracking anything else and haven't for 48 hours. You know, suddenly we have three of these things that pop up and we decide to shoot them down and then they're all gone. Nothing's there. So if it really was, as they're leaning towards weather balloons or research balloons, wouldn't there be more of them? Uh, you know, it's the whole thing really doesn't add up. No. And um, I think, you know, this will require the president to address it. He has not done it as of yet. And I want to get to that in just a second. But uh, we'll talk to Lucas Tomlinson coming up in the next hour. New York Times story today. Multiple administration sources not named saying, well, it could be just totally harmless stuff like, you know, science projects or something. But we blew them out of the sky with missiles like that (laughs) just doesn't make any sense to me. And I just keep coming back to and I'm not a tinfoil hat person. That's not who I am. I try to be very rational. I feel like the rational conclusion to me is that they're lying to us about something because either – They truly have no idea what they shot down out of the sky in three different cases. No idea. We just don't know. We're trying to find it. We can't find them anywhere. None of the three. It's tough. It's it's cold. You know, all that stuff. Fine. It's days (laughs) later here, okay? We're the most powerful country in the world. We have no idea what we just shot down in all three cases 
or they do know what they shot down and they're not telling us for some reason. And I find both of those kind of spooky. Yeah, I agree with you. And the fact that we have a lack of transparency and it's <laughs> Karine Jean-Pierre telling oh. us that the president really cares about this issue. Deeply. Uh, deeply cares yeah. about it is um, is disconcerting. The skies of Canada. All you- I know is that from what I've heard is that the things were not just blowing in the wind and that they there was some kind of control. I mean, they, they were not moving um, just by wind movement. So I just, some confusion among our pilots how they were airborne it was at least something that we've heard. And you cling on to little morsels of something because it's not nothing, but you right. don't know if it's true. Right. So why not just clear it up? Why yeah. not just put everything out there? Why not say, here's what they saw. We still don't know exactly what it is, but this is what they saw. We think it might be this, but we have acted in an abundance of caution after the Chinese uh, spycraft, which, by the way, was handled completely differently. Yes. If if they tracked it, as we now know, from China all the way across, and now they say the weather took it different places, that's total BS. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, which is why I think they are lying to us. And look, if they are lying to us, like the best case scenario in my mind is that they're lying to us because they know exactly what they shot down at this point, and they don't want our enemies to know what they know. Which is fine. Like, there, there's at least a national security component to that. Was like, okay, let's keep them a little bit in the dark and play dumb. Although I don't know how long that actually is operative. Like, at some, let's say it's Chinese stuff, Chinese material. The Chinese at some point are saying, oh, the Americans aren't this dumb, right? right. They, they figured it out and they're playing dumb publicly. But in the process, the American people, who also collectively aren't dumb, are looking at this and saying, no, Mm-mm. not not. And then, okay, last point. Uh, you mentioned the president. There's been a push. You asked about it on the panel Monday. Should the president give a speech? And I guess the reports are that they're contemplating a speech. I, would I mean, like... the fact that there's a report out saying they're contemplating a speech is really ridiculous. <laughs> I know. It's news. We're thinking about Breaking it. Breaking news. Something is in our heads. Yeah. <laughs> uh, trial balloon, so to speak. But I would like to hear from the president. But I really don't want to hear from the president if it's just a rehash of nothing like taking John Kirby's points and repackaging them and sitting at the the resolute desk or whatever and telling us nothing. If he's going to tell us something, then it's worthwhile. If he tells us nothing, then the president has spoken about it and he had a chance to today. He didn't. And then you and I are back on special report saying, well, there was no point to that. We didn't learn anything. Yeah, the they whole have to thing's have info. odd. It's all weird. They have to have info. And, um, you know, he could stand to talk about East Palestine, Ohio, too. I mean, he could stand to talk about a number of things, mm-hmm. but the real mystery about what they were shooting down with $400,000 Sidewinder heat-seeking missiles, uh, it just doesn't <laughs> add up uh-huh. if it's a research balloon. And the guys in the in the plane said, okay, we'll take it down. Our guest is a reasonably skeptical Red Bear, <laughs> host a special report, 6 p.m. Eastern tonight, chief political anchor working on those debates already Circle, circle July, your calendar, apparently. So buckle up for that on Nikki Haley announcement day. Brett, it's always good to see you. All right. See you, guys. Let's step aside. Come right back on The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Back on The Guy Benson Show. So this was a little bit awkward yesterday. There was an announcement put out publicly from Senator Dianne Feinstein's office. California senator, that she is retiring after 2024. There have been rumors about this. 
she was, at least there were reports about how she was like falling asleep in meetings and sort of losing her train of thought and forgetting things. And she'd been asked just a few days ago if she was going to announce that she was retiring. And she said, no, we don't announce anything in the winter. So then yesterday they announced, okay, uh, actually, yes, it's a retirement at the end of this term, 2024. And so a reporter asked her about it in the hallway, and here's how that went down in Cut 25. Finally announced you're retiring. Oh, no, I'm not announcing anything. No? I will one day. You will? Thank you, ma'am. Not too far away. Thank you, ma'am. So she denied it. Oh, no, I'm not announcing anything. We'll announce something soon. And they had already put out the announcement. Like whether she knew it or not, whether she had forgotten it or not, the announcement had already arrived. So, I mean, the reporter seemed very polite and deferential. I mean, it seems like there's a pretty obvious follow-up question. It's like, well, what does this tweet mean then? <laughs> Saying like, I'm retiring. And I guess a staffer is so awkward. Staffer had to correct her and be like, well, actually, we did announce it. Then people were trying to figure out, okay, did they just do this without her permission and put it out there prematurely? Or did they do it in a planned release and she had forgotten that it was happening yesterday? She's 89 years old. So she will be moving on. And I saw some jokes that she might run for president instead. Just to be like, see... Joe Biden's a spring chicken by comparison. It'll be an interesting, bloody fight in the Democratic primary out there in California. Some very ambitious, very liberal people who want that power in the Senate. We'll keep an eye on it. It's the Guy Benson Show. Another hour coming up next. Stay with us. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. Another hour is here on The Guy Benson Show, our middle of three. Thanks for tuning in. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. All the ways to listen live there. Also to get the free podcast when the show is over, on demand for free every day. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, wherever you get your podcasts. Also an option there. Plenty of options, as you can see. Also follow us social media, at Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram, at Guy P. Benson for me personally, and my accounts on those platforms. Fox News alert. The Dow closing up just a little bit, up by 38 points today. Better than flat, but not by much. Closing out the day at 34,128. With us now is Josh Krasauer, senior politics reporter at Axios, and he is live in Charleston, South Carolina, where he was covering Nikki Haley and her presidential rollout today as she begins the long journey to try to capture the White House. And Josh, good to have you back. Guy, great to be back on the show. All right. So we knew this was coming for a couple of weeks. They let it leak that it was going to be on the 15th of February. We got the video yesterday and we played a few sound bites of it here on the show. Three and a half minutes. We maybe did a minute or two at most. And then we had this event today with a big buildup. It all felt kind of conventional and normal in a number of ways. It felt like you could close your eyes and imagine this being a Republican presidential rollout for the most part from you know 2007 or you know, 2011 or 
2015. Uh, and I think to some people that's a welcome sight, a, a welcome sense. Other people will say, OK, is this what the current electorate wants, what the Republican Party has become, the direction of the base? You were there. You were on the ground. You could feel the energy. You could feel uh, and, and get a sense of how many people showed up and how her lines landed in the room. What were your overall impressions being in Charleston today for this moment? Well, look, number one, Nikki, ha- Nikki Haley is a is a talented political player, and she gave a speech accurately, as you described, Guy, that could have been from 2015. It could have been a Marco Rubio presidential campaign speech, but um, it, 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 it was a one that kind of is a throwback to uh, the party before Trump took over. Uh, very optimistic, very much about American exceptionalism, a lot of uh, talk about national security and, and the need to have strong values in foreign policy. Uh, and it also, I think that most, most importantly, it was a speech that was generated it, it drew a generational contrast explicitly with Joe Biden, President Biden, and calling him too old and then in need in the country in need of new leadership. But there was a subtle uh, contrast with uh, the former president, who she didn't mention by name more than once, but you could tell the generational lines also applying perhaps to Donald Trump. There was a line in there where she said anyone who's running for president who's over the age of 75 uh, and you should have a mental checkup, a mental facilities checkup. Uh, Donald Trump is 76. So um, she didn't mention his name. She did, Actually, she mentioned him once in the context of him appointing her to be U.N. ambassador. But this was not a speech that mentioned her only opponent or the only opponent in the race. But it reflected the argument she's making, that she is a younger, uh, forward-looking a generational change at a time when the country needs new leadership. And uh, that you know that could end up being a powerful argument, especially if Trump does not have the political uh, stick-to-itiveness as he did in 2016. And if, if DeSantis fades as a, you know, look, I think DeSantis is, is, is a very, very strong candidate along with Trump, but he's never been tested on the national stage. And Haley certainly brings strong retail politics, charisma, energy, to the political scene in a way that DeSantis hasn't shown, uh, in, you know, on that front in Florida, and, and Trump, you know, is also you know something of yesterday's news. So, you know, I, I think it was a strong start for Haley, but she's got a long way to go. She's got to raise money and show that she can get some support, especially in these early states, South Carolina, New Hampshire, Iowa, and show that that message can actually translate to the Republican voters. Watching it on TV, one of the lines that seemed to get one of the biggest cheers in the room and resonated with people dealt with the generational point that you were just mentioning. We played it in the first hour as well. Cut 19. Listen. Strengthening America, believing once again in America is the only way to defend ourselves from those who want to destroy us. When America is distracted, the world is less safe. And today our enemies think that the American era has passed. They're wrong. America is not past our prime. It's just that our politicians are past theirs. Politicians, as I noted last hour as well, plural there, politicians past their prime. And one striking thing, Josh, very, very similar theme to what we heard from Sarah Huckabee Sanders in the State of the Union address response on the Republican side to women much younger than the current 
front runners on either side of the aisle making the point about new leadership, new generations of, of leadership in the party, in the country. You know, it doesn't really feel coincidental, does it? Yeah, I, I think the themes were similar. I, there's a little bit less of a culture warrior um, aspect to Haley's speech and her argument, yep, but she does for sure. touch on some of the same themes. But but yeah, there is that that desire for new leadership. And you know, guy, I always like to the, the benefit of going to these speeches, seeing them in person, is talking to the voters, uh, at least the people who came to see what Nikki Haley had to say. And I talked to about ten uh, attendees. All of them solid, strong supporters of President Trump, and all of them to a person said that they like Trump, but they're looking for that very new leadership that can win an election. That's the bet Haley is making. And look, these were supporters of people who wanted to see what she had to say. That's not a, a, a unbiased sample, but you know that that's not a that's a smart bet. I think I think there is a, a sizable share of Republican voters who like Trump, who would vote for him again if he was a nominee. Uh, would view him favorably, but also think it's time for for a change. And you know, and I also think like you know, if you remember in 2016, there was a final two between uh, it was Cruz and Trump at the very end. You know, I actually got some mixed views about Ron DeSantis uh, in in that room. Um, a lot of people like Trump and Haley. There was a lot of more mixed opinion about DeSantis than I expected. Um, a lot of people think he actually is too conservative. Uh, in that room, that, that he was a little bit too much of a culture warrior in the estimation of a few people I talked to, Republicans, Haley supporters. Um, but they like Trump. They thought Trump was a moderate. They, they think Haley is more of a, a you know, moderate, for lack of a better word. So that, you know, there, there is like a, a – not everyone in the Republican Party is ideologically deeply conservative, and uh, I think people mislabel Trump as sort of a hard right candidate. He actually won a lot of moderate Republican voters in 2016. And there is quite a bit of overlap with Haley, who notably is not going after Trump personally. She's not, not going to be part of her playbook. Um, but it, it, it shows that she's betting that she can kind of win over some Trump supporters, win over some folks that will really like Trump, while also getting some of the more traditional Republicans as well. Well, it seems like the Trump people, meaning his team and Trump himself, so far greeting her run with kid gloves. I mean, they're taking a few kind of paint-by-numbers shots at her, but nothing that really sticks out is like, oh, wow, the gloves are off at all, you know? And and we played the soundbite for Brett Bayer last hour of just a few weeks ago, Trump saying, oh, he thinks it's good that she's getting in and she has to follow her heart and all of that. Well, of course, reminding folks that she said she wouldn't and wouldn't run against him and would support him, and she's doing it anyway. And some Trump backers have said, as opposed to the whole, you know, oh, it's, it's so disloyal thing, which is what they're doing with DeSantis, they're saying, oh, no, this is good because in their mind, the math actually helps them, right? If, if Trump's got his base and the rest of the party's scattered all over the place and you've got the non-Trump people saying, oh, I like Haley, Ron DeSantis is maybe too conservative, not sure about him or what have you. If Trump's got a consolidated base, you know, he's in a very strong position then to become the nominee. I wonder if Haley will kind of be treated – nicely as long as Trump considers DeSantis to be the real threat and unless and until she starts to look like an actual threat, in which case the the whole posture could change on a dime awfully fast. Yeah, that's right, Guy. And look, I, the, the, he's pulled pulled his punches with Haley so far. Um, 
he, he goes after the people he views as the most imminent threats. And I think that that explains the strategy more than anything about, um, you know, Haley's campaign launch. Look, I, I've talked to a lot of Trump campaign uh, operatives and, you know, one thing that's different, a little, a little different, I guess, from 2016 is that Trump is going to be leaning into essentially being the anti-war or at least a non-interventionist candidate. He's going to be leaning into protecting uh, entitlements, protecting Medicare and Social Security. He's going to be leaning into that populist image even more than he did, I think, in 2016. And, you know, that that's – it may be a more ideological campaign, if, if it, for lack of a better word, for Trump because he's trying to draw contrasts with his own record and, and some of these other Republicans that are getting in the race. But if he goes too far astray from Republican conservative principles, that, that, could, that could limit him and limit his growth um, as opposed to 2016 when he was the underdog coming from behind and really catching a head of fire and never looking back. So like, on one hand, I can see like, the, the playbook being smart in that you know, Ron DeSantis was in the House, voted for some changes to Social Security and, and Medicare, and Haley has been on record as supporting you know, entitlement reform and you know, foreign policy. Most of the Republicans are hawks, and, and Trump is running more of a dove dovish campaign, and maybe that, that maybe that's the ticket uh, to, to distinguish yourself. But that also paints Trump in a certain box that may be li- that, that doesn't necessarily reflect how he governed as president and may be limiting his appeal to a broader cross-section of Republican voters. Do you have a sense, we have about a minute left, do you have a sense of why Nikki Haley decided to go in now before other people start crowding into the field? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that it makes a lot of sense. No, everyone else was sort of chicken. You know, they wanted to wait. They didn't want to run one-on-one against Trump. They wanted to see how the field was going to develop. And I, I think, you know, Haley deserves some credit for you know, having the gumption to get in, get in the arena, see if she can show momentum, raise money, get support. Uh, being the first – she's not the first. Trump is the first. But being the first a candidate confers right, – The first alternative, right? There, there's, there's an advantage and a disadvantage. Quickly, Josh, five seconds, over under 12 people. In the Republican field, when all is said and done, more or fewer than 12? Under, easily. Under? Oh, boy, I hope you're right. I'm not sure I agree, but I hope you're right. Although, no Ted Cruz, no Josh Hawley, as we learned today. Josh Crossauer, we appreciate your time. Senior politics reporter at Axios on The Guy Benson Show. We will be right back after this. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. If you listen to the show regularly, you know that one of my bugaboos is the following story, which is why I love this suggestion. I saw it on Molly Hemingway's Twitter feed. She was our guest here on the show yesterday. It's a piece in The Federalist. She's editor-in-chief there by Chris Jacobs. And the headline is, Congress should subpoena MLB's Rob Manfred to admit all-star Georgia boycott was a partisan pretense. And I... Love this idea. I cannot endorse it any more forcefully, vigorously. What Major League Baseball did, and I know that I've said this probably close to 100 times now over the last couple of years, what Major League Baseball did was a disgrace. It was even worse than Delta Airlines, even worse than Coca-Cola and some of these other gutless corporate actors, also dishonest corporate actors, because they were involved in the process. They had no issue with it until all of a sudden there was a bunch of angry rhetoric whipped up from the hardcore, deceitful left wing, going all the way to the very top. Never forget that Joe Biden 
the president of the United States and the White House endorsed the Major League Baseball All-Star Game getting yanked out of Atlanta over a total lie, a lie that was provably untrue at the time, and we extensively proved it, a lie that was massively hypocritical when it comes to someone like Joe Biden, for example, being from Delaware, with much more restrictive or suppressive laws, if you want to use those words. Hugely, hugely hypocritical for Major League Baseball, whose Hall of Fame are in a state with much more suppressive laws. Again, I put that in air quotes. But MLB caved to the woke mob. Rob Manfred was absolutely impervious to logic or reason or any factual information. He heard Jim Crow, voter suppression, worse than segregation, all of the extreme, ugly racial lies. And rather than ignoring it or even fighting back against it, I would have been fine with Major League Baseball being neutral. They bought into it hook, line, and sinker. They punished the state of Georgia. They punished the city of Atlanta. In fact, they punished a lot of minority-owned businesses over something that was absolutely untrue. And there's never really been a reckoning for Major League Baseball. I know they kind of quietly backed away saying, oh, we don't want to get into politics. How about an apology for the lie? How about an apology to Governor Brian Kemp, who, by the way, got reelected by eight points after the Atlanta Braves won the World Series the previous season? There has been some cosmic justice in that sense with the Braves getting the World Series and a big, whopping reelection victory for Kemp. But an apology is in order. I think it's unlikely to come unless they drag it out of him. If Major League Baseball wants to get heavily involved in American politics and throw in their lot with a bunch of ideological liars, then why not, speaking of accountability, why not have the commissioner of Major League Baseball brought before Congress for any number of different issues? They drag these people out there from time to time, put them under oath, and have the Republicans make him squirm and browbeat him and force him to admit what they did, confront him with the evidence under oath with the lights. Like I sometimes get annoyed by some of the spectacle of these stupid hearings where nothing really gets accomplished and everyone wants to go viral. In this case, I would be fine with the public shaming and humiliation of Rob Manfred over this issue. And then maybe finally I'll drop this as a complaint. But here's an opportunity for Republicans to use their own bully pulpit to tell the truth and hold someone accountable who did something that I think is unforgivable. And who's going to shed a tear for Major League Baseball or Rob Manfred? They brought this on themselves. They made a series of terrible decisions based on lies that went way over the line. And I would love to see what he has to say about it when he has no choice but to answer the questions because he's been avoiding these questions. Remember George W. Bush kind of poked at him on a broadcast about it, and he laughed uncomfortably? I appreciated Bush doing that. How about some zingers from Congress? Mr. Commissioner, do you acknowledge that turnout hit record levels for a midterm in early voting, on Election Day voting, and in the runoff? Here are the numbers. Do you acknowledge these numbers? Is this reality, sir? Yes or no? Just go through and embarrass him. He deserves it. So Chris Jacobs, writing at The Federalist, has this idea, put it in writing, and uh, two thumbs up from yours truly. 
Get on it, Republicans, whether it's the oversight committee, I don't know, commerce, whatever committee has jurisdiction here. This seems like a pretty good idea. Make it happen. The Guy Benson Show continues. When we come back, Lucas Tomlinson, Fox News correspondent, asking him about the UFOs, the latest developments. Do we have any more information yet on this stuff? Also, the latest out of Ukraine with Lucas. That's straight ahead. Please stay with us. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Halfway through today's program and halfway through the week on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast free every day. Joining us now, Lucas Tomlinson, Fox News correspondent. Lucas, so good to have you here. Guy, great to join you. I want to start with these unidentified objects. We know that yesterday the U.S. Senate got a classified briefing. We asked Senator Rubio about what they learned and what they could at least tell us about what they saw. He said most of what they were informed of really didn't need to be classified in his estimation. There was a New York Times story that quoted a number of unnamed administration sources saying that the three non-large balloon objects that were shot down might not be nefarious. They might be harmless, which is not really an assertion one way or another, What are you hearing today? Because it just seems wild, I think, to many Americans that here we are on Wednesday. One of these things was shot down last Friday, and we still don't have a concrete sense of what these objects were, where they came from, what their capabilities were. Is the administration getting closer to providing answers? Well, guys, some officials tell me we could have shot down little Timmy's science project. Uh, they, they really don't know what they shot down. Big problem, of course, is recovery package. Uh, these small balloons, drones, whatever you want to call them, objects, the nomenclature uh, officials have been using. Uh, one of them was shot down off the north coast of Alaska where you know temperatures are like minus 40, 40 below zero with the wind chill, pretty unforgiving area. Yukon, you have to read a, a Jack London novel to realize uh, pretty inhospitable territory. And, of course, when you shoot something down over Lake Huron, uh, the water is actually deeper in Lake Huron than, than that giant Chinese uh, spy ship that was destroyed off the coast of South Carolina uh, uh, on February 4th. So one of the biggest problems is, frankly, just recovery. Uh, as you heard from some of the audio from one of those Viper pilots, the F-16 pilot who shot down the, the object over Lake Huron, took two shots, of course, as, as Fox, we first reported, uh, they didn't even know what they were shooting. They, they had a hard time describing it. And one pilot said it was smaller than a car, but you really never got that description that these pilots had seen this stuff before. It's very hard to pick up on radar. They didn't even want to find these things. Uh, at night, they wanted during the daytime so they could get a good visual. So, uh, as you pointed out, it's been almost a week since that first object was shot down over Alaska, and really very little answers coming from the administration. But uh, officials tell me that they this this could be something as benign as a, a science experiment. I mean, listening to you talk and give that answer, Lucas, I have to confess that I'm just feeling frustrated because. We're the most powerful nation on Earth. We spend huge amounts of money every single year on our national defense. And the answer seems to be, well, we shot these things down in difficult places, so they're hard to find. And by the way, we didn't really know what we were shooting down in the first place. That just doesn't seem like a very satisfactory series of answers. Of course, I'm not blaming you. You're just relaying what they're telling us. 
But it just seems hard, I think, to wrap collectively our brains around this idea that they have been not retrieved yet, any of the remains of these three items, and we don't even know what the items were in the first place. It just, that boggles the mind to some extent. Right. When you talk about fifth-generation fighter jets, F-22 Raptors launched from Alaska, these are the Air Force's premier fighter jets. They didn't enter service until 2005, which might sound a little old to, to some of our listeners, but uh, for uh, U.S. Air Force jets that many of them average 30 years of age, these, these are one of the premier jets. And when you think of, you know, frankly, uh, you know, state-of-the-art radar systems, uh, you know, heat-seeking missiles and, and uh, you know, pilots that, you know, you'd think – getting a visual would understand what they're shooting down it is a little bit of a head scratcher you know you don't we first of all let's just back up and say that uh the U.S. Air Force shooting down four objects over the skies of North America in eight days. It's unprecedented in U.S. history. Yes. Okay. Uh, simply put, um, um, you know, you have to, you know, it, it's, it's just... Well, it, just, it just to jump in, Lucas, I think it's so important to underscore the point that you are, which is four objects shot down over North American airspace, three of them in U.S. airspace, one in Canadian airspace, in the span of a little over a week, unprecedented. And then three of the four of them we still haven't recovered and didn't know what they were in the first place. I mean, a head-scratcher is putting it kindly at this point. It seems very, very odd. And at some point, look, I understand the excuses. I understand how cold it is and the rough terrain, inhospitable, all of that. But I would imagine there are some Americans at this point saying they have to know more than they're telling us. And I think the longer this goes on, the more that type of speculation is going to ramp up. Whether it's accurate or fair or not, I think that's kind of part of the natural reaction to some of this, given the passage of time. Well, certainly after you saw that uh, 2,000-pound Chinese uh, spycraft conduct a week-long odyssey across the continental United States. And now it seems like the the Pentagon has been like an about-face, if you will, where it's more about uh, shoot first this time, ask questions later, then try to figure it out. Not only is the terrain inhospitable, but every official I've spoken to says that, you know, these things were quite small. So not only is the terrain tough and it's tough, you know, area to work in, but you're really looking for something very small, very tiny. And, uh, you know, we have not heard from President Biden. Uh, he has not spoken publicly about uh, the three objects shot down. We've been hearing from, from John Kirby, uh, the National Security Council at the White House, but when you hear that, oh, you know what, we hear that these things are more benign, this might be of a scientific nature, it, it does make you question. I understand the frustration, and, you know, of course, same on this end of the phone as well, and that is uh, yeah. the U.S. military normally does not shoot first, ask questions later. Yeah, and then in this time story to have these administration officials saying, well, these things could be harmless, what is the point – of speculating that they might be harmless when they might not unless they know something. It just seems like a foolish way to go about messaging any of this, and maybe they just feel like they've got nothing else to say, so they're saying, well, you know, it might not have been technology from the Chinese. It could have been something completely different. It might be different in all three cases. We just don't know. And the administration also telling us, I saw CBS News breaking this story yesterday, Oh, well, the big spy balloon from China, we knew what that was all along. In fact, we tracked its liftoff from China and traced it all the way across the Pacific up into our airspace, which I guess is meant to be reassuring, like, hey, we're all over this. We knew what that was from the very beginning. But then it also raises the question, okay, if we saw it 
upon liftoff from China, and then it drifted our way or was sent our way and then came into our airspace, we just let that happen until someone spotted it. It just, I think, raises a bunch of other inquiries about some of the decision-making processes behind all four of these incidents. And I just can't really offer much more intelligent commentary on it because we just don't know anything really still to the point that we've now hammered into the ground. So let's move on to the war in Ukraine, Lucas. I do want to ask you about a couple different reports. I saw one today that a report that the Russians are holding thousands of Ukrainian children in effectively refugee camps. Another report that Russian balloons have been spotted over Kiev and have been shot down in recent days. And then this Fox News report, I'd really like to maybe get your take on this. The report is that Ukraine has been killing nearly a thousand Russian troops every day, including one day recently where they eliminated 5,000 Russian troops in a single battle. Those, at least to me, sound like numbers that are totally unsustainable for Russia. I know that there's this new offensive starting. Russia, according to the U.K. government, has deployed 97 percent of its army into Ukraine, still struggling to make any real gains. I know that there's worry and concern about what might come next from the Russians in this new offensive. But if they're losing men at that clip, it's hard to see how they can make progress, let alone win. Well, one of the biggest problems, Guy, is the Ukrainian forces are also suffering heavy losses. Uh, by some accounts, over 100,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed in this war. So, yes, while the Russian casualties are much larger, uh, more than twice that number, uh, it does seem that Vladimir Putin is showing no signs of stopping. In fact, there's over 300,000 Russian troops in Ukraine as we speak. Uh, uh, Russia still controls about 20 percent of the country. The front lines have not significantly changed in Ukraine in about six months. Uh, the Ukraine's had a successful offensive in the fall. It took some area around Kherson and the upper, uh, in, the, in the southern part of the country and, and Kharkiv in the northeast. However, besides some territorial gains there, it's it's been pretty static. In fact, the Russians are digging in. They're building miles and miles and miles of trench line, and they don't look like they're going anywhere. So, yes, while we keep hearing these numbers and they're staggering, the problem is Vladimir Putin keeps uh, grabbing raw recruits, soldiers, conscripts, convicts, you know, emptying his prisons. And it's a real problem for the Ukrainians who are losing good soldiers, good men, good women uh, in this battle in the east. And sadly, it doesn't seem like Russia is anywhere near uh, giving up. In fact, just look at history going back to World War II. Uh, the Russians, the Soviet Union lost over 20 million people, you know, fighting the Nazis. So when it comes to casualties, you know, we in the West, we, you know, we certainly uh, are not as willing to sacrifice people. That goes without saying. Whereas Putin and the Russians, it's, it's really a whole different ball game. And you know, when, when Vladimir Putin annexed, you know, four regions in Ukraine, uh, there's just no sign he's giving that area up. And, and when you look at the war, the you know, Ukrainians are talking about taking Crimea. It does appear that, you know, for the Biden administration, that's almost a red line. It's, you know, tacit. It's nothing stays not stated uh, U.S. policy. But, uh, you know, Ukrainian officials would privately say their goal is to take back the whole country, to go back to 1991 borders. But when you hear Secretary of State Anthony Blinken talk, you get the sense 
Some Biden administration officials will privately say they wouldn't mind going back to February 23rd borders, meaning before this uh, full-scale invasion, they'd go back to Putin holding some area. They just uh, want peace. They want the war to stop, which, you know, for some people, that's very admirable. Uh, you stop some of this bloodshed, but you certainly would go back not for uh, – it wouldn't be a complete victory for the Ukrainians who want the Russians not just – uh, out of the east, but out of Crimea, out of their whole country, uh, back to when uh, they first declared independence in 1991. Yeah, it's hard to see how Russia would win an actual victory. And obviously their initial goals have not been met, to put it very mildly. But what does Ukrainian victory, total victory, look like at this point? I know that the West, the United States in particular, and a few other places have given huge amounts of resources and assistance and training and equipment and technology, et cetera, intelligence to the Ukrainians. Some Americans are questioning that, increasingly so. I'm not one of them. I'm totally in favor of it. But I think all of us are curious, what are the Ukrainians going to do to put all of that assistance to good use against the Russians in this new offensive? What are the next steps for the Ukrainians to take all of this help that we're giving them and parlay that help, translate that help into additional wins and gains on the ground. Well, U.S. officials will privately admit that Ukraine is not winning right now, okay? They're not losing. This war has ground down to a stalemate, and these lines have not changed significantly in six months. What the Ukrainians need is help to go on the offensive, and that's why you saw President Biden uh, approve tanks to go into Ukraine. Now, those American M1 Abrams tanks aren't showing up on the battlefield anytime soon. It might even be years. But what it did was free up the Germans to put in some of their leopard tanks, other nations like Poland, Finland, uh, other European nations who have German-made leopard tanks. It freed them up to put the tanks in there. However, uh, you know, critics have said, why didn't this happen a year ago? If these decisions were made a year ago, arguably even pre-invasion, meaning like a year ago today, Maybe this could have been held off. Now, earlier today, I was looking at Vice President Harris's speech from Munich a year ago, February 19, 2022, and you just have to wonder how history could have been different if some of these weapons had gone in sooner, might have even prevented this invasion. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot of the signaling in favor of Ukraine has been strong from the beginning, and I'm fine with that. But in terms of concrete policy decisions and aid to the Ukrainians, it just seems like the administration has been very slow, a step or two behind every step of the way, which may have contributed to this current stalemate, which could extend the suffering and the war as people question it more and more back home and in the West. It it seems like they've tried to split the baby in some ways. And I'm grateful for what we've been able to do. But I think those critics that you just mentioned have a point. And it'll be interesting to see if, if Biden and his team will ever be pressed specifically, explicitly on some of the decisions that they've made and not made in the timeline that you referenced, because I think they're absolutely worthwhile questions. Lucas Tomlinson, Fox News correspondent, our guest on The Guy Benson Show, getting to a lot of substance here in this interview. Lucas, appreciate your work. These last couple of weeks in particular, you've been crushing your beat, and we look forward to having you back. Guy, thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Let's step aside. Let's come right back on The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Back on The Guy Benson Show, I had to chuckle at this story, and I'll admit I feel a little bit bad laughing at all at anything to do with the border crisis because there's nothing funny about it for the most part. 
It is a crisis on every level. And we've talked about why. Humanitarian, sovereignty, national security, public safety. You go down the list. But one of the twists and turns that has been fascinating is that officials in New York, Democrats in New York, have started busing huge numbers of migrants up to the Canadian border and basically inviting them to cross illegally now into Canada. Because there was the whole big outcry when Republican governors were sending migrants from the border to jurisdictions that are blue, sanctuary jurisdictions, and the people who have beaten their chest about how compassionate they are and how much they welcome migrants, right, huddled masses and all of that. They called it human trafficking. They called it cruel and inhumane, using these people like pawns. We got that from the White House over and over again. Of course, not acknowledging that this disaster has been experienced by small border communities completely overrun now for two years. They don't care about that. They care about pretending like they're good people, but not wanting the problem on their doorstep. They don't have to deal with it. They want Greg Abbott to deal with it. The people of Texas out of sight, out of mind. And Abbott and others have made that impossible. Of course, we got the whole rage over the Martha's Vineyard stunt. It was a stunt, a successful one by DeSantis. Then, of course, when some of the migrants arrived in Chicago and Mayor Lightfoot called Greg Abbott a bad Christian for sending them, what did she do? Oh, the good Christian put them on buses and sent them elsewhere. And now in New York, they've been sending them up to the border. You know what? Why don't you cross into a new country illegally? Because some of the migrants are quoted as saying they didn't really like New York. It was too dangerous. Too many homeless people, too much drug use. So they were looking to the great white north. Well, how's that going? New York Post reporting the government of Canada's second most populated province is demanding that Mayor Eric Adams immediately stop helping migrants enter the great white north illegally, as recently revealed by the Post and other outlets. Quote, any form of assistance to migrants crossing the border where it is strictly forbidden to do so should stop immediately, a spokesperson for the Quebec premier said. We understand the situation of migrants in New York poses major challenges, but the situation in Quebec and particularly in Montreal is even worse and constitutes an important humanitarian issue. So basically, we can't handle this either. We don't want them. Stop sending them here. So is this callous, racist xenophobia from the Canadians? And are they scolding the human traffickers, a.k.a. the Democrats in New York, based on all the insane rhetoric and standards that we've gotten from the left in recent months? I mean, it's kind of interesting to watch that play out, isn't it, in that battle? It's almost as if the problem needs to be solved at our southern border through actual enforcement, taking the problem seriously, not treating it like it's political constantly. Maybe that's just me. Maybe some lessons might be learned, or maybe not. Not holding my breath. Let's put it that way. When we come back, final hour of the Guy Benson Show coming up. Jesse Tarloff is here next. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Happy Hour. On the Guy Benson Show, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Very delicious. Big fan. 
Check it out if you haven't already. And I always hear from you guys on a regular basis. Many of you have tried it, are enjoying it very much. 21 plus only, of course. Always drink responsibly. TheLongDrink.com. You can see where it's sold near you. You can order online. TheLongDrink.com. Our website here, GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast is free every day when the show is over. It's on demand, no charge. Seven days a week. Bonus Benson on the weekends as well. That's GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. At GuyBensonShow is where you can find us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at GuyBensonShow. You can follow me on both platforms as well, personally, at Guy P. Benson. With us now from our New York headquarters, Jessica Tarloff, Fox News contributor, co-host of The Five, head of research at Bustle, and chief romance and baby correspondent here at the program as well. Jesse, welcome back. Thank you. Since you are our chief romance correspondent here, we're going to talk about our Valentine's Day experiences later this hour. But Mm -hmm. did you have a romantic Valentine's Day and was it perhaps consumed by, oh, I don't know, your child? <laughs> yes, it was. My child and my mother, who's my 70-year-old child. So I have two children of very different generations. Uh, <laughs> producer Christine nodding along as she knows what the uh, the widow game is like. Um, so we went out to dinner with the baby and with my mom, which was really nice. And everyone was very generous, I would say, at the other tables. It helps a clue is too cute for words um but we have been having this kind of meta conversation about like do we have to take her everywhere with us because i feel the guilt right like oh well i want her to go and i want her to try all these things but maybe it would be nice to go out to dinner and not worry about her eating or calling around to ensure that everywhere has a high chair like brian which was a very nice idea booked to go to Terroir, which is a wonderful wine bar in my neighborhood. Um, And when you and Adam are up here next, we'll have to go. And he's like, I booked a table for four, and it's fantastic how close he is with my mom. You know, totally into Valentine's Day as, you know, him and three generations of tar love women. And I said, you think that a wine bar wants a baby on Valentine's Day? He was like, well, I don't know. I said, did you ask if there was a high chair? And he said, no. I said, all right, well, I'll just call them. So I called, and the woman basically laughed me off the phone. So not everywhere has high chairs, um, mm. and that is their right. I heard there's a restaurant in uh, New Jersey that's banned yes. kids now. Yeah. I know some people are some people are really mad about that, but I'm I'm not against that. I think there could be a couple, I don't know, retreats for just adults to go eat without Kids screaming like or calling around. Sandals Barbados. I mean, I've not been to Sandals <laughs> Barbados, but no, sure. but that's like, like you know. the point of those resorts, right? Where they just say, "Actually, we're going to give you bottomless pina coladas, and you will not see a little person, whether you have one or not." That you've uh, like left we behind. asked, and we love children. We love our friends' children. We love our family's children. We hope to have children, but for our wedding. We said, please, ah, I do no remember children. this. Yes. Please, no children. And it's not because we hate kids. It's because we wanted to have a certain vibe at the wedding and a certain energy at the wedding. And also, we wanted our friends with kids to have an excuse to be able to just give a permission structure for themselves just to come and enjoy it as adults without having the option of like the bouncing baby on their knee the whole time. And a lot of them were like, Thank you. Thank you for that. You didn't give us an option, and therefore we, quote-unquote, had to. Right. I don't know. I 
I make no apologies for that. As a very pro-child person, I think there should be like certain limits and elements and areas of society where adults do adult things. Yeah, I mean, certainly. And I, it'll be curious to see what type of parenting style, when the time comes for you and Adam, you will adhere to. Because gentle parenting it's... is hot right now. Not hot in my household because if I'm still wiping your butt, then you do what I say. But there are a lot of parents <laughs> out there who – really feel like kids need to be treated as adults. And if you're inviting me, you're inviting my unit. And I mean, childcare mm. costs are also something to take into account, right? So you had you had sure. a beautiful destination wedding. I wasn't invited. We weren't as close. I like to think you guys would have invited us if you were doing yes. it again now. But putting that aside no for doubt. another day. No doubt. Um, There'd be a couple people who would have been not oh, invited. Disinvite. Oh, Not disinvited, but like, you know, I'm not going to name any. I know Christine's immediately paranoid. Is she talking about – are they talking about me? No. No? I, well, that I think would be Christine a bad would, professional decision for you, so I don't think you would She would that. still be invited, <laughs> but some people that you have, like, grown farther apart from, yeah. you say, okay, if you could go back and do it over again, I can think of 10 people, let's say, that would have made the cut that didn't and vice versa, and you would have been – you would have been in. You would have been off the bubble and in. All right, but no Cleo, which is fine. No Cleo. That's just the rule. Sorry. She has to stay home. or yeah. She doesn't have to be at home, but she just can't be at the winery. Well, that's also the thing. You know, people are free to bring their kids, and you just find a sitter. And most hotels are really good. You know, they have a bank of people that they recommend, and you can work it out. But you, I have noticed um, that parents are essentially like a protected class when it comes to their decision-making. Like, you cannot say anything about what they're doing. I have a girlfriend who is breastfeeding a three-year-old. She has teeth. She eats shrimp scampi. She also eats boob. It is crazy. And we all just sit there, and we take it because you can't say anything to a parent. Like, she knows she's insane. She'll joke about it. But what are you going to do? And we were at a wedding in Georgia. She flew from London, brought her husband and the kid. The husband stayed home from the wedding to be with the child who she breastfeeds. And she has not had a solid night's sleep in three years because the kid co-sleeps with them to make it easier. And she's pregnant again and told me that she'll breastfeed both of them. No. You just you got to be quiet. I sent some very strange emojis and I just I'm moving on past. I. I am so shook by this. I had a whole list of things to ask you about, but now <laughs> How's that now for a Chinese spy balloon. Yeah, the the three year. I mean, here's the thing: if that situation was the Chinese spy balloon, <laughs> shoot it down, shoot it down gently. The kid but yes. is the kid is three. Yeah, and goes Maybe, to school. I wonder if. Oh my gosh! It's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have shrimp scampi and then some breast milk for dessert. Like that's crazy. Is there a way for you? Because I. I get why, as a friend, you wouldn't want to seem like you were meddling in parenting decisions because parenting is a very personal thing. And I think we should be fairly reluctant to criticize parenting. But there are things that should be criticized. Yeah. Can you, like, outsource this to someone else or maybe even, like, send something anonymously or have a consortium of friends sign, like, a joint open letter to this person saying you've got to – you got to cut the cord or whatever we're going to refer to this as as a euphemism because that is creepy and that is going to be weird for the kid too. Yeah. I mean, everyone has kind of spoken to her about it. She's like, she knows and she jokes about it. She's just trapped a little at this what's, point. And what's she, the joke? Like, ha ha, I, 
I hear your criticism, but I'm going to continue because because I'm weak. She doesn't want to like her daughter is going to be upset. Right, because – Yeah, you just you, say no, and then you create a new normal for the kid, right. which is just normal food because the kid has teeth and is three and can walk and speak. Oh, she's not even relying it on nutrients for this point. It's all comfort, like a you know, baby blanket, a pacifier, a breast. These are like all things, I guess, that a, a baby can rely on. She had a very bad uh, relationship with her parents and a very difficult upbringing, like – grew up in Uganda and Rwanda during the genocide, like crazy stuff. And I think that Whoa. she's, I know. So it's a little heavier than just oh, this like is getting, one of our this friends is from the crazier. tri-state area who like was a Jets fan and the Jets always lose, right? Like, so there's a lot going on here. Right. Harder, and, harder hardship than Jets fan. <laughs> right. I, there is such a thing. There is such a thing. So uh, it's like you would be stepping on such a big explosive device if you really said – you know, this is so dangerously bad, frankly, for both of you. And it goes so much deeper than that, that, you know, I mean, she still lives in London. I'm back in the States. I was one of my friends from London when I lived there. So I just kind of take it as it is. But at this wedding, this was the first time that Brian, my husband, was meeting my London girlfriends and he was seated next to her. And I had told him that Sophia the daughter, still breastfed, but he did not expect it would be happening at the table next to him. At the table. And he couldn't, he didn't know how to make eye contact with anybody, basically. And she had positioned herself, so she was kind of staring at him. And also the dad was holding up an iPad with, I don't know, Paw Patrol or whatever to keep her entertained. And Wait, so the kid, stop, stop, stop. The kid is breastfeeding, the three-year-old child is breastfeeding in public at a restaurant at a table while the other parent is holding up a screen for the child to watch. And talking to us like normal, like, oh, so what do you do for fun? Because they've never met Brian. Yeah, no, no, these are all real things that happen. Not this is the answer. Answer. Yeah, I would have. I would have been up. I would have been up and out. I well, think he at didn't that want point, everyone like, to hate me. him. But when we left, he said, "You may never criticize me or my friends for anything ever again." And I said, "This yes. is completely that fair. Is you true. win." Yep. 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 All right. I'm a. Uh, I'm a solutions oriented conservative, yeah. Jessica. So I have a solution. <sighs> I think here's what needs to happen. Uh-huh. You need to have producer Christine mm-hmm. call this friend. And have a little, like, go in Jersey on her talking to <laughs> about the breastfeeding. And then in exchange, you, because like, you're not going to pay Christine, even though it's very, very awkward. Christine will do this, I'm sure, happily. And then in exchange, you can call Christine's daughter and finally tell her, speaking of age inappropriate. And by the way, parents, if you're listening right now, little kids in the room, little kids, like littler than Christine's daughter, like young, young kids, and you want certain special mysteries to remain very magical, then turn down the radio or, or have the kids go away, just like, you know, trigger warning here. But tell her daughter that Santa isn't real Aww. because – I'm not doing that to Megan. She's on her own clock, guy. Uh, yeah, like the three-year-old breastfeeding? <laughs> no, I mean that's going to be child protective services at some point. I don't think the Santa <laughs> stuff uh, – but I do – on the Santa debate, and obviously you guys have been talking about this, I wouldn't say behind my back because it's your job to talk to each other all day, every day. But Well, and we've been talking about it on the air, right? So I, very much not behind anyone's back. No, it's in everyone's front, front. But it is – I don't know what the right age is for that because isn't there a worry that kid, like kids at school will start to know and then 
they'll tell. Oh, that's, that's what that's what happened. This is why Kat Tiff oh, is really wanting to be involved in this whole intervention. Uh-huh. One of Megan's friends told her this, and Megan was like, "No, my mom promised that that's not true." And oh. then she made she made Christine promise and pinky swear that she wasn't lying. Oh. And Christine panicked and doubled down on the lie. Ah, uh, that's some gentle parenting, Christine. Uh-huh. In my defense, it was like three weeks out from Christmas. I was not about to ruin it. Yeah, but, I mean, you're going to have to ruin it for next year. Well, we'll see where she's at. I mean, I mean, I just had Cupid come the other day, so we could probably work from that oh. and go backwards. All right. We're going we're gonna to deal with all of this later on this hour because we still haven't gotten to our Valentine's Day Oh, yeah, how was exploits. it? Sorry. It's fine. I ended it was up perfectly fine. Was uh, per- no, I, I was so entranced and horrified by that story i didn't even know what to say yeah I, it's like it i feel like that's something stunner. that could be written into like i don't even know some sort of sitcom that would become an a, like an epic iconic plot line like a side plot in a major sitcom don't you just Except wish though real. that larry david knew and he would just go up to her and be like eh. Pretty sure this it's is illegal or pretty, whatever. Pretty, pretty, pretty inappropriate. Up. Um, <laughs> that's what we're hoping for. So if you can guarantee that, I might be able to convince her to come on the show. If you can deliver a Larry David intervention. I don't know if I have it in me to confront this person on the air. It's the situation is so bizarre. Like I would say even at, and I'm not an expert on this, but like even at age two, it would strike me as Way too late, let alone three. <laughs> what, what is the what is the normal time that it gets phased out? They recommend, and they being the doctors and the La Leche demons, that okay. if you can make it a year that you've done a really solid job. My friends who wanted to breastfeed and made it to six months were very proud of themselves, felt good about it. I made it six weeks and really only pumping like one bottle a day. I didn't really commit. Um, but it was mostly to get antibodies from the COVID vaccine to her. And then. So one year is kind of like the wow, you've completely like done it and you, checked the yeah, box. Here's a trophy. It. I think a year. Yeah, Christine's nodding along. A year is like. But I, when I think about it, I mean, we just. Cleo's 14 months. We went to her year appointment, was the last doctor's appointment. She's like a 25 pound human with three teeth, like <laughs> who eats. Uh, you know, hard food like she eats steak. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, my boobs aren't and this that other great, kid is like but double, I care. Double her age. This kid's double her age. Oh, more than double her age. And it also has a British accent, which makes it even weirder. Like, mummy, you know, what? <laughs> nope. I, I, I won't do the whole thing, but you know what I'm talking about. Well, I think we've done more than enough, quite frankly, on this. I, I did not see this coming. Uh, this this segment was not going to go this direction, but you never know what you're going to get. Life is like a box of chocolate. Speaking of Valentine's Day, yep. there is the tease for the home stretch coming up later in the hour. Jessica Tarlaw, Fox News contributor, co-host of The Five, head of research at Bustle, chief romance and baby correspondent, and whatever the and hell we just talked about. A breastfeeding adult children correspondent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for your service. Um, I don't know what to say. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for yeah. having me. Glad you had a nice time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is good. This was uh, not disturbing at all. And we're definitely not going to get weird calls about this one. So, um, yeah, we're done. We'll be right back. It's the happy hour, I guess. It's the Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show.
Happy hour on the Guy Benson Show as we continue to recover from that conversation with Jessica Tarloff. I think I'm scarred for days from that conversation. Oh, man. Well, I don't always do this every month when the ratings come out, but we do want to just pass along a word of thanks to the Fox News audience as Fox News again thumps the competition in viewership to kick off 2023. The Five makes history again. And here's the story from FoxNews.com. Fox News Channel started off 2023 with a bang, topping CNN and MSNBC among total viewers for the 23rd straight month. Fox News finished January as the most watched channel among all basic cable options ahead of ESPN. A distant third, by the way, was MSNBC. It's especially gratifying to see Gutfeld as the king of late night winning last week by a long shot. He was beating Colbert by more than half a million viewers last week. That was before the Super Bowl ad, by the way. And do I derive an extra special amount of pleasure watching Greg and Kat and company every night clobber Jimmy Kimmel? Yes, I do. It's not even close. Kimmel's like a distant fourth place. And if you look at the ratings, Trace Gallagher, Fox News at night, Midnight Eastern is hot on the heels of Jimmy Kimmel. That would be great to have two different Fox News programs in the late night space beating Jimmy Kimmel. Just to pick one guy at random. Not random at all. The Guy Benson Show returns after this break. Much more to get to as the happy hour rolls on. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Back here, Guy Benson Show. It's the happy hour. In our first hour today, Brett Bayer, chief political anchor and the anchor of Special Report, he joined us to talk about the news of the day, including the entrance of Nikki Haley into the presidential sweepstakes. Here's part of my discussion with Brett Bayer. Nikki Haley, it's her day, announcing the presidential run that she said wouldn't happen under these circumstances, but here it is. I thought it was a pretty strong rollout overall. What did you think? Yeah, she's had a couple days, actually. If you think about uh, a release on Twitter of this video that got a lot of coverage uh, because she's solo as far as as, uh, the only other person besides former President Trump in the field, I think the speech was pretty strong, uh, dealt a lot with her history as governor and uh, U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, but also more about a pitch of next generation and a spirit of America and tapping into kind of the optimism pitch of a Ronald Reagan-esque speech. So, yes, I think it was a good launch. She had a good crowd there. Uh, I do think she has an uphill battle, um, and a lot of candidates do, finding their lane, getting their feet Uh, making the Republican Party rally around them as basically the not-Trump candidate. And we've talked about this. I mean, the more of these candidates that are in there, um, the pie gets divvied up a little bit, and uh, you have to analyze what piece of the pie the former president controls. And whether it's 23 or 35 makes a big difference as far as who's in the race. Big, big difference. And I was struck, this was now a couple weeks ago, Trump hadn't really done much of anything on the campaign trail since his announcement back in November. He was fundraising and, of course, putting out his truth social stuff and 
spent a lot of energy in recent days talking about Rihanna and the halftime show. But he did go to North to uh, to New Hampshire and to South Carolina for that one weekend. And on the plane, he was asked by a reporter about a number of different would be opponents. And he really laid into Ron DeSantis. He was asked about Nikki Haley. I found this really interesting. Cut 23. Here's what he said. Well, Nikki Haley made the statement that she would never run against our president. I believe Mike did, too. But my attitude is, you know, if they want to do that, they should do it. I had a good relationship with all of them. Nikki Haley called me the other day to talk to me. I talked to her for a little while. But I said, look, you know, go by your heart if you want to run. She's publicly said that I would never run against my president. He was a great president. I'd never run. Did she call you to tell you that she was going to be running? No, but she called me. She said... uh, She's, she'd like to consider it. And she was letting you know? And I said, you should do it. You should do it. Go with your heart. He was getting the jab in. She said she wouldn't, but now she's doing it. That was a, a very welcome into the warm water Nikki Haley statement. There have been a few things that the team has put out knocking her. But in that same little scrum with the media, Trump was saying it would be very disloyal for Ron DeSantis to get into the race. A very different message for him ABC News story has Trump world sources quoted saying, we think this is good. I mean, she can help split up the not Trump vote, take votes away from Ron. These people getting in will be not taking votes from Trump. They'll be taking votes from Ron DeSantis. I mean, it's not really subtle, the math that they're at least doing internally. I agree. And I'm you know, he hasn't held back before, even when it comes to a female candidate, um, you know, in, in his terminology and going after them but that's also maybe a factor in at least out of the gate but you're right i mean in the polls when she is in the race and ron DeSantis is in the race the numbers come out of DeSantis, and trump's numbers stay roughly the same mm-hmm. these are early polls these are name recognition polls you don't have any sense of a broad electorate what they think of the policy pitches of the pitch about being president from any of these folks we you know, are already starting the process of where this race starts in earnest, and that's the primary debates. That full interview with Brett Bayer available online, GuyBensonShow.com. You can also listen to it as part of the full podcast, the entire show from start to finish. It's available every day for free on demand, GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcast. Well, we teased it earlier. In our wild roller coaster of a segment with Jessica Tarloff. And we will get into the team and our Valentine's Day experience, specifically Christine's, let's be honest. That's up next on the home stretch when we come back. For the full interview and more, go to guybensonshow.com. Home stretch on this Wednesday on the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com, podcast free every day. So yesterday was Valentine's Day. We didn't really have much time for an extended home stretch because we had Senator Rubio here live in the segment immediately preceding it. And so we didn't even touch on our Valentine's Day plans at all yesterday. But I think many a listener is curious about what the team here did for that holiday, which to me is just a totally made-up, commercial ploy and I'm actually somewhat romantic and can be at least as a person but Valentine's Day to me is just a recipe for overpaying for things for no good reason but 
it is what it is. You're romantic? What is happening? What do you mean? You You think you're a romantic person? I think to some extent I am. Interesting. I just I just would never describe you as that. Well, I mean, do you recall how I proposed to Adam? I do. I do. I, I, I'm in awe. Is that not romantic? Yeah, that was. That was a good one. Okay. So, like, I like certain gestures and little things and words of affirmation. I don't like going to the grocery store and buying an overpriced heart-shaped box of chocolates and insanely expensive red roses on one day a year that's just made up. To me, that's not romantic. That's like a grift. It's a giant societal grift is what it is. Well, that's the spirit right there. That's the guy Benson I know. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm right. And, well, okay, since since you're challenging me on this, uh, let's, let's get to you and your Valentine's Day, Christine. Um, I know that you had a very, very nice setup for your daughter with lots of elaborate decorations and gifts and that sort of thing. So that's exciting, and I'm sure she appreciated it. And a lot of the photos looked good, and I know many of your friends misinterpreted the photo and thought Bobby had done that for you and were giving Bobby all the credit for something that you had done, in fact, for your daughter. So that was – you were aggrieved by that, correct? Yeah, a lot of people were saying, you know, obviously I'm going to post it on social media because I thought it looked really cool and I, you know, worked hard on all of this. And then everybody was saying, oh, my God, Bobby's so romantic. Like, that's amazing. You have such a great husband. His mother called, his sister called him saying, like, that was so sweet, Bobby. And I was like, are you kidding me? I did all of that. He did not. Yeah, and it wasn't for him. It wasn't for you. It was for your daughter. Of course. Cupid came. It's like Santa, but Cupid comes. Yeah, I just, it it doesn't make sense. She's what, nine? Yeah. What do you mean it doesn't make sense? Do you want Cupid? Do you want Cupid coming for your nine-year-old? It's just like a thing. Like the leprechaun's obviously going to come for St. Patrick's Day. The bunny comes for Easter. You know, it's just like a cute little... There are going to be so many things you're going to have to tell her aren't real after promising her they are real and lying to her. So, I mean, all of that nuclear fallout from your lies to your child is something that you'll deal with (laughs) in the coming years. But more importantly, Christine, you had asked your husband not to do anything elaborate for you for Valentine's Day because you strike me as the type of gal who expects a very expensive gesture from the husband on Valentine's Day because you are very much like the mark of the grift of Valentine's Day. But this year, you had gone out of your way to not in the head fake way, like, oh, don't get me anything, where sometimes guys in particular will take that literally and not do anything, and then you'll be mad. Like, I didn't mean it literally not to do something. That's not what the game was this year. This year, you really didn't want him spending a lot of money on something elaborate because... You had already spent an enormous amount of money on a gift to yourself. I mean, speaking of made-up things, uh, tell us what the whole deal was this year and why you earnestly asked your husband to not make any grand romantic gestures for Valentine's Day. Yes, he did say, like, you know, let's let's think about what you would want for Valentine's Day. Where do you want to go to dinner? And I, being so kind, because I had um, put money down on something that is going to be pricey next month said to Bobby hold off don't get me gifts let's not do dinner you know we don't have to go out it's fine we can stay home and cook and he felt that was a trap and it wasn't because I I am 
doing something next month that is very expensive. So I figured I'll make that my Valentine's gift. Like Sometimes I'll buy things and then I'll be like, oh, just don't worry about that. That's my Mother's Day gift. I think a lot of women do that. Now, Bobby, poor Bobby, he still did get me something on Valentine's Day because he was too scared to not have something. He thought it was a trap. He thought it was a trap, a reasonable conclusion and suspicion. But before and so, before as like an insurance policy, he got you something nice, and then you informed him well, that you'd already spent a ton of your money on something else? Well, can I, I don't know if this is nice or not. I mean, I guess it's practical. But um, so, as you know, I'm a woman of a certain age. And sometimes at night, Dan, <laughs> sometimes yeah. at night, I, when I'm sleeping, I'm very hot. And some might say it's called hot flashes. Oh, boy. And Bobby, for Valentine's Day, bought me this, like, it's like a reverse vacuum thing that you put under the sheets, and it blows cool air on you all night. And he thought this was, like, a nice Valentine's Day gift for me. And I'm like, wait, what is this for? He's like, you know, when you get hot. And then Megan goes, Mommy, Daddy said for your hot flashes. Wow, this is I'm there's so much that I'm learning here. First of all, of course, somehow yet another vacuum related product has been purchased for this damn household. I, this is like the 17th, I think, in the last two years. So that blows me away. Secondly, does it work? It actually does the past like because he he gave it to me early. So like over the weekend. So we've yeah. It does. It, it actually does sounds work. pretty awesome, actually. <laughs> like, I want one. <laughs> have you been sleeping better because of it? I have. And it's remote control. And it's also an app on my phone. So you could put, like, the temperature. You can say how <laughs> um, much, like, quick you want the fan or whatever. But, like, the reasoning why he got it, I don't I don't know if that's very romantic. Maybe that's why I have a little chip on my shoulder right now about what's romantic and what's not. Except it sounds like it's probably not inexpensive. And it was something that you needed based on a professed need. And it's something that works and is helping you sleep better. So what I'm hearing from this is a very thoughtful gift. I just don't know. Like Valentine's Day to me screams like flowers, cards, candy, jewelry. Let's say it all together now. Jewelry. Yeah, but so so cards you throw away after two days. Candy, gone after a few days. Flowers, die after a few days. This is something that will help you sleep for months or years to come. Well, you're wrong about that because I've kept every single card. I have a box that Bobby has ever given me since the day we started dating. So I do like cards. I think they're something. You go back, you read them on the regular? Not on the regular, but... As you know, what my mom said, she goes, "You collect all that in a box, so then when when you go, Megan has to clean it out." I'm like, "Oh my, thank you, mother. That's the spirit." Yeah, I mean, Judgey Joyce is a realist, and she just speaks the truth so often. But Christine, we only have so much time left oh, here. But I, do you see how I'm avoiding? I do. What was the big ticket item, if you can call it that, that you were spending all this money on that made you try to preemptively not? get a gift from Bobby because you wanted basically permission or at least forgiveness for spending all this money on yourself on a little side project. I don't know what to call it. Little, uh, little fantasy deal. I am. a. It's not a fantasy. It's reality. I'm a little worried about saying it. I just need you as my best friend to like really not put bad energy out there. Once I say this. Okay. 
No, I don't agree because the energy is bad and it's a dumb idea. I am going to have a 90-minute session with like a celebrity medium next month. I'm not going to tell you who. I'm not going to tell you the exact date because I have to like mentally prepare for this. And it's real. It is really expensive, but this person is legit, has worked in crime cases. Like, I'm very, very excited. So I didn't want Bobby to spend any more money because this was a chunk of money. Hundreds of dollars? Yep. For 90 minutes? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, quite a business model. And I said this off the air. I'll say it on the air. we got to get you back into church, Christine. With And, like, as you were telling me, oh, you know— I have to have cleansed energy. I do. The day that it happens. I don't want to be overly offensive, but it just strikes me as an insane. Like, how about this? Send me the hundreds of dollars and I'll do some uh, like Ouija board made up stuff for you and I'll keep the money. (laughs) Um, I don't think so. And this is different than like my Times Square psychic. This is somebody... And by the way, I do have church in my life. I don't go to church every week, but like my daughter's in Catholic Wait, hang on, Christine. Christine, hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm being informed of something. It is from a dearly beloved who has passed. I'm getting a few little remnants of energy from them. Oh, wow. <laughs> They're telling me something don't, don't shocking. They're telling me something shocking. And I, I'm because we're so close, Christine, I'm willing to... To let you know what it is, but it's going to cost you. Do you have Venmo? Guy, this is what I asked you politely not to do when I first brought this up, remember? Okay, fine. It's your choice. You'll never know what Carousel's telling me. <gasps> oh, my God. I didn't even think about Carousel coming in. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about humans. I want. Neither I did know. I. And then it, then it just, you know, I started tingling in my toes <laughs> and my fingers. And <laughs> was that... Was that the pony? It's the ghost of Carousel. Okay, see, this is why it guys, sounds like a goat. Kind guys, of. this is very important to me. Can we put Wyatt on Wyatt? We'll get understand. Oh yeah, let's let's bring in Wyatt to save Christine on this one. Go ahead, Wyatt. Christine, I just the things that I would rather do with that money. I mean, think of you could send that to a charity, and you could do good. I don't know what. What this is is going to do. Or, no, hang on. She doesn't care about that. You have to do something that will actually affect her thinking. Forget the charity, Christine. Jewelry. You were just talking about jewel. Think about what those hundreds of dollars could. Look how beautiful and glimmering a new piece of jewelry on a necklace could look. You could get compliments around the office. I mean, that's that's how you have to sell it to Christine. Well, hold on. I don't say I'm not charitable because I am a charitable person. I definitely do send money to charity. I I think this is honestly something that's going to like alleviate things in my head and my brain that have been bothering me. That's a long list, Christine. I think you should think about being a little more supportive. Just just think about it. And I'm going to tell you the day after when I get on air and tell you everything and how amazing this was, you're you're going to want that number. I'm just getting one. I'll tell you one thing. I just got this in a vision directly from the big golden corral in the sky. I, I can't give you the revelations because you haven't paid. And that's, you know, that's my business model. But Carousel did say this. She did say that. 
You get that one for free. That's your little tease. <sighs> you can call me now for your free reading after the show because we're done. <laughs> Back here tomorrow. God knows what tomorrow will bring on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you for listening. Have a good night. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.